Proofreading Business Podcast with Elizabeth Wigner. For more, visit theproofreadingbusinesscoach.com. All right, y'all, I have Linda Evanson here from Internet Scope School, and you guys are in for a treat because Linda is here to talk about one of the best side hustles or full-time businesses that you can start that almost nobody has heard of, and that's scoping. We're going to talk all about what scoping is. Linda is the perfect person here to talk about it. She has been a, she was a scopist for over 42 years. So not only does she teach people how to scope, she walks her talk. She knows what she's doing. She's been in the industry. She knows all the ins and outs. Uh, She lives in Montana in the Bitterroot Valley. She says she's surrounded by mountains, which makes me a little jealous here in Oklahoma, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, And she lives there with her husband, with her kids, her goats, her turkeys, her chickens, her dogs. In other words, she's living the life. So Linda, I am so happy you're here today. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Well, thank you for asking me. This is going to be fun. Yes. I, you know, y'all, when I talked to Linda about coming on and talking about scoping, she was like, oh, I could talk forever. This lights me up. And just how she talked about it in her emails, like you guys are just going to feel the joy uh, and how much she has loved scoping. It's going it, to, you're in for a treat. So Linda, tell me, first of all, since hardly anybody has heard what scoping is, can you explain what, do, what is scoping? What does a scopist do? A scopist is basically an editor. Mm. Um, When court reporters sit and write on their little machines in court, it goes into a computer that translates it into English. But if the reporter doesn't write everything absolutely perfectly or misses a couple words here or there, whatever the case may be, then that's the scopist's job to fix that. It can be court transcripts, depositions, community meetings, rate hearings, which really stink, (laughs) um, and any other proceeding that needs to be documented. Mm. Scopus read every word carefully, punctuating and researching spellings as they go. Mm -hmm. And our job is to try and make the transcript as perfect as we can get it. Mm-hmm. Then after that, it goes back to the reporter for proofreading or to a professional proofreader mm-hmm. who are taught by Elizabeth, our podcast hostess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so as a scopist, I'm assuming, if do you listen to audio, like the audio that was recorded? Do you just read what's on the the page or how does that work? Any more reporters want the scopus to listen to the audio mm-hmm. just because that is a little insurance policy for them that they got every word, that they heard things correctly. Um, and I can understand why they want that. Mm-hmm. It is slower going mm-hmm. for the scopus to do that, but the reporter, you know, can pretty much be sure they're getting a verbatim transcript that way. And that's and that what it does. I'm sorry. It does have to be proofread after that, though. You need two pair of eyes always on a transcript before it goes out. 100%. Because when you're editing and you're focusing on like the big picture of like the research or maybe listening to audio or reading steno, you can miss the the it's just it's it's nothing against scopist or it's nothing against the court reporter. It's just it's when you're trying, you can't focus on all the things at one time and each has their own important job with it. 
That's correct. My favorite mistake used to be if there was a short word at the end of one line, <laughs> and then it was repeated on the next line. It was so easy to miss, like as, as, or the, the. Yes. So you have to really read carefully and those things do get missed sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's why somebody needs to go back through the transcript. Definitely. That makes it's it's kind of like um, with books, you know, you'll have somebody who writes it, you have the author who writes it, then you have the editor who goes through and makes it readable, puts things together in the right order. Um, You know, they'll pay attention to spelling and punctuation, too. But it's the proofreader at the end that just puts the pretty little bow on the top. So the scopist is in the middle part of it. That's right. And I have the utmost respect for proofreaders because they're responsible for catching basically everything. Mm. If they miss something, it goes out as an error in the transcript. Mm -hmm. So they have to be very good at what they do, very conscientious. And Mm. I have a lot of respect for that. Oh, well, thank you. And I mean, on (laughs) on the flip side, I have a lot. I like I was actually talking to a court reporter about this yesterday about uh, the type of scopus that you get makes such a difference, not only for the court reporter, but it makes a huge difference for a proofreader. Like I have scopus that I prefer to proof behind because they just make my job so much easier. Whereas if you had a, you know, a scopist who wasn't well-trained, who didn't come from internet scope school, then <laughs> they, it can be a lot more challenging to proof. And when you have a ton more errors to fix, it's harder on me to catch everything that the court reporter needs you know, for the proofreader. So that scope is just such an integral part of making a really good transcript. That's really true. The transcript should be very clean. Mm. When the proofreader goes through it, um, it should go pretty fast. Uh, Proofreaders make less per page, Mm -hmm. but they should be able to read a lot more pages in an hour because there should be very little to fix. Yes, I'm like nodding my head up and down for those who are not seeing it. It's like it's got I'm going to nod my head off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's a that brings up an interesting question. So how many pages uh, per hour can a scope? I know it can vary depending on like the quality of the transcript, but like on average, kind of how many pages can a scopist expect to scope an hour? I tell my students, even with doing full audio, mm-hmm. they should be able to do 20 to 25 pages an hour minimum. Wow. If if they're filling in a lot of drops or if uh, the notes are just really, the transcript's really messy, mm-hmm. they may make less than that. And so I tell them, well, mark, keep marketing yourself, work your way up to some better writers so that you can make a living at this because, you know, nobody can live on $10 an hour, not no. in this day and age. Mm-mm. So um, when I did it, I didn't do the audio. I worked with court reporters who only wanted me to spot check Mm. the audio if something didn't sound right. Mm -hmm. Well, I was able with the great writers I worked with to do, you know, 35, 40 pages an hour. Wow. So, So it takes almost twice as long to listen to the full audio. So can scopists charge more when they have audio or does that depend on the scopist and how they set up their business? Any more, the lowest page rates, since almost everyone wants full audio, mm-hmm. is higher than what it was. That when makes I sense. Was scoping, yeah. Because it, like I said, it takes just about twice as long, mm-hmm. but then the court reporter is willing to pay more because they have less to fix, or they should. Yes. 
That makes sense. No, that makes sense. So kind of, uh, so how much, like if you're, we're talking about, you know, working per page per hour, how much does a scopist tend to average? And I know it can really vary, but like if you wanted to be a full-time scopist, um, that was going to be how you make your living. What would you say they could average a year or a month, whichever is easiest to go by? I think anymore, um, someone working pretty much full-time probably makes 40 to 45,000 a year. Um, As I said, if someone specializes in rush transcripts, Mm -hmm. um, they can make, you know, 60,000 or more because all they do is the high stress, uh, really quick turnaround Mm -hmm. jobs. And they charge like two to three times as much per page. Mm-hmm. And then the reporter also charges more because it has to be done so quickly. That's it. So they, obviously, if you're going to be stressed more, you have to be there at a certain time and have your time filled up for rush jobs. You're obviously going to get paid more for it. That that makes sense. Yes. That makes sense. So tell me, you know, you talk about how much money you can make and the skills that a scope or the what the scopist has to do. Is there a demand for scopist out there? Like this obviously sounds like if you can make, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars a year working from home on your laptop, is there a demand for this kind of work? It's funny you ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> I am hearing from my graduates um, that they have more work than they can begin to do. Wow. Um, Especially since COVID, a lot of reporters now use Zoom Mm -hmm. um, for their means of communicating with the attorneys and the witnesses. So um, because of that, I guess, there's more work out there. Mm. I don't don't know if that makes sense. Yes. um, I had a little gal named Holly who graduated in February. Mm -hmm. And two days after she graduated, she posted online and I heard from her a couple months later and she said, I love this career, but I'm so busy. I haven't taken a day off in two months. (laughs) So she had to start learning to say, I'm sorry, I I can't do that Mm -hmm. and give herself some time for herself and her family because the work is out there to drown the scopus. It's mm. it's a great time to go into it, I'll tell you. Well, hey, y'all, if you're looking for a <laughs> side hustle or full-time business, I mean, Linda is proof that there, you know, and, you know, when I'm uh, as a proofreader and inside, uh, you know, I'd see court reporters talking about, you know, needing proofreaders and needing proofreaders and needing scopists. I see a lot of not just I need a scopist, I need a good scopist, because it seems like there is a huge difference between, you know, there are scopists out there, just like there are proofreaders out there, but there aren't that many good proofreaders, or not just good, but like exceptional proofreaders, and there aren't exceptional scopists, and that's what court reporters really need. That's correct. Um, I tried when I created my course Mm -hmm. to be as thorough as I possibly could Compared to any other courses that I'm aware of, mm-hmm. my course has two to three times the material just because I wanted to cover everything. Mm. Um, I wanted to make it so when someone graduated, they knew that they knew what they were doing, they were confident. And I also drill into their heads to be dependable mm. because reporters 
are working hard. They're under a lot of stress. They usually have a lot of pages to get out and they don't have time to mess around with someone who doesn't know what they're doing, number one, Mm -hmm. or who takes their work really casually and maybe doesn't meet the deadline, doesn't communicate well. Those things, if I hear of any of my graduates doing that, I won't allow them on my website anymore. Oh, I like that. I'm tough. I'm mean. I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's good, though, because that encourages your grads to not get lazy. And it also keeps like if somebody says, hey, I'm a grad of Linda's, you know, Internet Scope School, they're going to be like, well, I know she's good then because Linda does an amazing job at training. That's good. It's you have to preserve that integrity. We sure try. And I know you do the same thing with your students. You want them to get out there and do the best job possible. Yes. And as much as I respect proofreaders, I really, really respect court reporters because Mm. it's a hard job. It's not easy to write over 200 words a minute, Mm -mm. which is what they have to be able to do to even graduate court reporting school. Then they're under stress of dealing with sometimes shall we say, not so wonderful attorneys and judges putting up with a lot of stress. Yeah. So we really want to help them. We don't want to make things harder. Yes. My head is just going to nod off during this whole (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Yes. So tell me, you know, you're talking about we, we, the court reporters deserve to have excellent scopists. Your scopists are deserve themselves to be the best that they can be. Because I mean, that's how you get work. That's how you make money. So tell me, what kind, what skills do you need to be a good scopist? Because honestly, I mean, and I, I'm the same with proofreading, not everybody is cut out to be a proofreader. Um, And I'm sure not everybody's cut out to be a scopist either. So tell me what kind of skills are, you have to have them to be a good scopist? You need to have a natural aptitude at working with words. If you don't, it would be like me trying to be an accountant. As good as I am with words, I am that horrible at math. If I had gone into accounting, I'd have starved to death years ago. We are same. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You would be a good scopist if you did well in English in school, Mm -hmm. even if that was a long time ago, if that was kind of your strong suit. Mm-hmm. If you spot errors in texts like spotting a fox in a hen house, they just mm-hmm. jump off the page at you. Yep. You enjoy word games, crossword puzzles, mm-hmm. anything to do with language. Generally, you love to read. Mm-hmm. And you also uh, often love to write and are particular about how you write. Words are just mm-hmm. your thing. Yeah. That's a good point about loving to write and being really particular about that. I think that's one big thing that separates scopists from proofreaders is um, proofreaders. I know a lot of proofreaders do go into writing or were formerly writers. um, But as an editor and scopist, you do have to be more focused on the writing aspect of it. That's a really interesting point. I like that. So what kind of like personality traits would you consider a good scopist to have? Well, I've always thought being half crazy has been a good trait for me. <laughs> because it's worked for I, <laughs> it works for me. I have always really enjoyed scoping and I have loved my clients. Mm. And I'm one of those people that when I see a really funny untranslate or something comes up really 
strange on the computer or someone asks a really dumb question, whatever the case may be. I'm one of those people that has to put a smart aleck note in there for the reporters. And I have seriously had more than one tell me, you know, you're great to work with. You do a good job. But I love working with you because you make me laugh. (laughs) And, you know, since our jobs are stressful, pretty Mm. much anybody's job can be stressful. Mm-hmm. Why not get a laugh here and there if you can? It makes it a lot more fun to do what you're doing. Yes. My goodness. Yes. If you can't laugh at it, what's the point, right? <laughs> right. Um, like I said, you do need to be dedicated. Mm-hmm. You need to take good care of your clients because the court reporters depend on you to not only get their jobs out on time, but to make sure they're accurate. Um I mean, I can't stress enough, I guess, how much they depend on a good scopist. Mm -hmm. And we have to take that very seriously. We have to also keep ourselves up to date Mm. um, on software, hardware, um, trends in the profession. Because I know a lot of times my reporters, um, perhaps they had an issue with their writing that I knew the software company had made a fix for. Hmm. So I could advise them, hey, turn on this function in your translation options. It will help your work translate better. A lot of them I helped learn how to run Catalyst, the software that I use, Mm -hmm. because reporters tend, because they're so busy, they tend to only learn what they have to learn to do their job. Yes. And so a lot of times, the things outside of that narrow corridor that would actually help them do their jobs better, they haven't taken the time to learn. And I have found that um, people that I helped in that way were so appreciative. Hmm. And it usually made it easier for them on their end if they just took a few minutes, you know, to learn a new, a new technique or whatever. That's really interesting that you, it's not, not, and I put just in quotes, it's not like you're just scoping. You're also almost a little bit of a uh, tech support for them in some ways if they need it. Right. I consider myself uh, what I saw online one time, someone coined the term a reporter supporter. So you can think of yourself, you can think of yourself as a, as a stretchy undergarment. You're a reporter supporter (laughs) and it's the truth. We need to make their jobs easier. Mm. As far as I'm concerned, that's my job. That, Of course, that involves all the different aspects. But I know I used to have um, clients that would get beat up really bad during a day of Mm. taking a job. And they just, oh, I'm so bad. I never should have done this. I want to quit. And I would tell them, you know, I, I might go in and look at the job and say that job's actually pretty good. I think they felt like it was bad because they were struggling to keep up. Mm. But because I did work with very good writers, they did a lot better than they thought they did. Mm. And so I would try and be their cheerleader and lift their spirits and tell them, no, you write very well. You're going to get a bad job now and then, you know, whatever. And that seemed to be something they also really appreciated. I love you brought that up, Linda, because... Um, you know, th- this actually just happened this week, a court reporter that I follow on Instagram, she shared a screenshot and she came up from it from the perspective of she needs to be a better writer. I took it from the perspective of how 
dare that scopist talk to this court reporter this way. But the <laughs> the screenshot was the court uh, the scopist was um talking to the like saying, Are you a reporter? Like what machine you use? I'm trying to understand how the job got this bad. And I'm thinking, why would you ever like that that pulls somebody down? Whereas if you have a scopist like you or the students and the grads that you train, it's you're there to support them, to encourage them, to help them want to get better. Um, that's such a huge trait of both this proofreader and a scopist is to be there to encourage and not to, you're already pointing out their mistakes when you're editing and, and proofreading, you know, don't, right. don't make it harder <laughs> by don't uh, kick a guy when he's down. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I love you brought that up, Linda. A trait of a good transcript proofreader and a good scopist is being kind and supportive and yes. a cheerleader. Yes. And that was another thing I've done with um, reporters. If, if I see that they're having trouble with a certain word, let's mm -hmm. say, um, I'll go in and look in two or three of my reporters' transcripts and see how they write it. And then I'll say, I see you're having trouble with this word. Here are some ways some of my other people write it. Maybe one of those will work for you. Um, but you want to do it in a kind way. If you're making them feel like they're doing a lousy job and they're a bad reporter, that's just going to get you nowhere. Yeah, you're going to lose clients real fast. <laughs> you are. Not to mention you may cause some reporters to get so discouraged that they quit mm. or that kind of a thing too. And we don't want that to happen. No. Oh, that's, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's, you know, that's why running a business as a scopist or as a proofreader, really any business that you have is so much more than just being a good scopist um, or knowing how to use your software or even being dependable. It's how are you treating your clients? Um, right. You can be the best person out there, but if you are just a miserable person to work with, then you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> Go into a different business, cleaning outhouses by yourself or something where you don't have to see people. <laughs> yes. And you know what? There are people who don't do well with other people. And that is totally fine. It takes all sorts of people to run this world. Just go into a career that's not scoping or proofreading. I mean, there you go. That's a good hint to not go into it if you don't want to. That requires no people skills. Yes. Yes. That's, that's a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel like that is a very under rated part of running your business is being able to have people skills and yes. communicate well. Communication is absolutely huge mm. in this profession. If I had to name the single most important, important thing other than having an aptitude for words, it would probably be being a good communicator. Mm. If you get sick and you can't get your head out of the toilet, mm -hmm. Don't wait until the job's past due to tell your court reporter, oh, I've been really sick for the last two days. Mm. Call them as soon as you get sick and say, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish this. Can you wait a day or two? Uh, do you have a backup scopist? It, can I hook you up with someone who can help you get this job out the door? Because they are depending on you and mm -hmm. you need to let them know what's going on on your end. I did have one gal who two or three times ended up not meeting a reporter's deadline mm. and didn't communicate with her. And afterwards she'd say, well, this happened or that mm -hmm. happened. And yes, sometimes it was something she had to handle, but mm -hmm. there was absolutely no excuse unless she was dead 
or in the <laughs> hospital in a full body cast. Yes. Not communicating with that reporter and letting her know what was going on. That's unforgivable. I Yes. And it, it is, you know, of course, people tend to talk about the negatives more than they do the positive inside groups. I mean, that's a human True. nature. But a lot of things that I see are that people are upset with Scopist about is they didn't turn things in uh, by the deadline. And that's right. not and no communication that. Yeah, you're that's huge to turn things in on time. That is. So. Um, as a scopist, would you say that you can work on your own schedule? Um, how would you talk about the flexibility of the job of being a scopist? You can control your workflow to a degree. Mm -hmm. If you work as someone's full-time or main scopist, you are generally um, responsible for, for taking care of any work they send to you. Um, so you can't just say, well, I'll only do two jobs for you a week. Mm. If they have another scopist and they agree with that work share arrangement, you might be able to do something like that. But usually if you work with the reporter, you do the work that they send to you. But if you can't, um, what I always tell my students, and we have a very active online group, a private group for students and graduates, mm -hmm. I tell them to hook themselves up with one or two other people that can back them up if there's an emergency. Mm. I have gotten as many as a thousand pages in one day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have, you know, it's like, what is it? Is this everybody beat up on Linda day? Everybody. Yes. And what ends up happening then is it's got, that's a week's worth of work. Yeah. So I'm booked out for a week at that point. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, right away, I need to be asking people, okay, I'm really, you know, I'm booked up for the next week. Um, if you get something else, do you have someone who can do it? Do you want me to help you get someone, you know, mm -hmm. there again, I try to do, always tried to do the best I could to take care of my clients, but having a good backup that you can trust and vice versa, you will back them up when they need it is worth its weight in gold. Mm. Yes. Yes. I said the same to my proofreaders. Um, if you can't take a job, obviously tell them right away because the court reporter is waiting on you to get the job done. And right. you know, you have this excellent community of grads, just like you with your scoping students, that if you can't do something, you have a back. So you don't have to feel like you always have to be working. You can, it's okay right. to take time off or if you need it. it. Is. You, yeah. Everybody needs to be human. Yes. To be able to have a down day or two here and there to just relax and unwind and think about something other than your job, just like a regular nine to five job. Mm -hmm. And since we work from home, it's really easy to end up on your computer from day, you know, sun up till sundown, if you're not careful, yes. weekends. And when I was a younger scopist back early in the day. Mm -hmm. um, I used to work a lot more evenings and weekends, but as I um, got a better uh, class of writer, I guess mm -hmm. you would say, mm -hmm. and worked my way up to some really good reporters, I got to where I didn't do that anymore mm -hmm. because it really, and, I, and if you do work all the time, I think you start making mistakes because you're, you're overtired and overworked. So yes. it's really not a very good idea. 
Yes, that's yes, that's a good point. You have to take care. I, it is exciting when you're starting your business and you're getting clients and you're making money and you can ride that wave of excitement for a, a while. And then yes. eventually it's like, oh, I think I need a break. <laughs> I can't remember my name. I think I'm overly tired. Yeah, it happens. You do have to find a nice way of saying no. Yes, yes. And it's, well, you know, when you can refer back to like your scopus can get into the grad group and be like, hey, I need somebody to cover for me. Uh, you don't feel so bad saying no, because then, you know, they'll still be taken care of. Um, right. And your client will be happy, too, because they've got a great scopist, but they can always come back to you for the next job. That's right. So you've talked about, this is kind of going back a little bit to the beginning, you've talked about them writing and like the machine that they use and their software that they use. And you've talked about like, you know, having to be a little bit tech savvy to understand, you know, be able to use the software. Um, I know that what they write in is called Steno. Can you explain to our listeners what Steno is and like how a scopist interacts with Steno? Steno is basically its own language. Mm. Um but the great thing about it is you don't have to speak it and conjugate verbs. I I took Spanish years ago and <laughs> conjugating the verbs just about drove me crazy. Same. You know, if it's go, it should be go or going, but it should. I mean, it was just really hard for me to do that. Yes. With Steno, you're just reading it. You don't have to speak it. And it is its own language. I think there's only... I'm trying to, th I don't remember how many keys are on a steno machine, but it's less than there are letters in the alphabet. Mm. And so the way they make letters and words is by hitting several keys at the same time. So the letter N, for example, is written TPH. Oh, interesting. So it would seem like, well, that takes a lot more time to write than writing the letter N. Well, it doesn't because they hit that and the vowel and maybe even the end sound of the word all at one time. Mm. So they would write need in one stroke or need to in one stroke mm. or, um, oh, one of my favorite briefs is ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Mm. Now that's a mouthful. Yes. And But the universal brief for that is lurge. Ladies Hi. and gentlemen of the jury. It's oh, it's kind of the sounds of the mm -hmm. words. And since that's not a real word, once the court reporter defines that as ladies and gentlemen of the jury, every time they write lurge, that phrase comes up perfectly. So you learn how to read the different letters. And then there are a lot of brief strokes, as I said um have to, need to, I can't, I want to, all those different kinds of things mm -hmm. have short forms that you learn. Um, sometimes they'll, it's called tucking a vowel where a vowel comes at the end of a word, but they mm -hmm. put it in the middle. Hmm. But as long as they write it that way and define it that way, it comes out perfectly. Because what the computer does is matches what they write to the words in their dictionary. Mm -hmm. So when it sees lurge, it matches that to the phrase, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Now, if they don't write it perfectly, it may not translate. And so it comes out in, in what we call an untranslate, which is this jumble of letters. Mm. And once the scopist knows how to read notes, they can usually tell between 
the letters that are there and either dropping letters or adding letters and by context what mm -hmm. that word should be. And of course, nowadays we have the audio, which makes it even easier to get those words correct. So a scopist um, should be able, so they don't have to know how to type on the machine because the court reporter works all that magic, but should a, a scopist learn steno for those untranslates that they see inside their computer screen? Since the advent of the audio, there are trainers who feel like it's not important enough for Scopus to know how to read the notes anymore. My personal belief is, uh, other than punctuation, that is your foundation that mm. you build on for the rest of scoping. Because sometimes the audio is garbled. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. Yep. Or it may not work for, say, the space of 20 pages. And then the reporter, it maybe after lunch, they forgot to turn their audio back on. Yeah. Well, all you have to go by then during that period of time is the notes. Mm -hmm. um, I even had a client here a few years ago who owned a court reporting firm, and one of his reporters had died. Mm. And of all things, one of her old transcripts got ordered up. Oh. Yeah. They didn't even have her dictionary anymore, but oh. they did have the notes. Mm. So he read the notes into a computer and translated them against someone's dictionary that he thought wrote closely mm -hmm. to this reporter and sent me the job. And I note read. Well, actually, no, on that one, I think I note read the whole thing because wow. it was short. It was only like 30, 35 pages. Mm -hmm. And out of the whole thing, she was a pretty good writer. There was only two words that I wasn't sure what they were. Wow. One of them he recognized. The other one was just a, you know, a goober that got in there and he just <laughs> deleted it out of the transcript. Wow. So I felt pretty good that this old dog, after all these years, could still read notes that well. <laughs> and how that? What are the chances that something like that I would come know. up? I know. That was just such a fluke, but it really helped him. He didn't have to mess around with it. I was able to read the notes and do it and save him all that time. Well, and that just increases your value and demand as a scopist because right. uh, the more skills you have, the more money you can make, the more uh, particular you can be with the clients you want to work with. And the better uh, reputation you get, you know? Yes. So yes, do, that's do you, worth a lot. Do you? Absolutely. Yeah. Your reputation is everything. Yes. So do you teach, um, since Steno, obviously the average person walking around doesn't know Steno. Uh, as <laughs> it, like, I'm a transcript proofreader and I've been for years and I don't read Steno. That's because, you know, by that point, the scopist has worked all their magic and it's not in the... Uh, they better have. <laughs> if it is, I send it back. That's not a That's job for right. a proofer. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, as a transcript proofreader, I don't proofreader, I don't have to worry about that part. But for scopist, do you teach, as part of your internet scope school, do you teach people how to read Steno? I do. Oh, that's awesome. There's, yeah, there's a really long section. I don't even have any idea how many pages it, it is, but um, it teaches the letters of the alphabet because, of course, that's where you start. Mm -hmm. And then it 
they write, uh, reporters write either long vowel sounds or short vowel sounds. So that stead looks different than steed. Mm, that makes sense. Yes. So you, then you teach the vowel sounds. Then you start s- making simple sentences where you put the vowels and the consonants together. And then you work your way up. And they also write um, prefixes and suffixes hmm. that often are more than one, stand for more than one syllable. So you hmm. teach those. And then you teach a lot of the briefs that people use. Some are, like I said, they're universal. Pretty much everyone uses them. Mm-hmm. But all reporters write just a little bit differently. Mm. So part of being a good scopist with your client is learning their style of writing. Um, you also get a preference sheet that tells you how they want their work done. Mm. Do they want a comma before? Is that correct? Do they want a semicolon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when the, if someone is interrupted and it comes back and that uh, attorney starts asking questions again, it's called a byline. Mm-hmm. And so they'll put in by Mr. So-and-so. Well, there's about four different ways of doing that. Yep. And so you get their preferences and then you follow those as you edit. And as I said, everybody's a little different. So when you're first working with someone, you refer to that sheet a lot. Mm-hmm. The more you work with them, the more you kind of get into the groove mm-hmm. and do things the way that they want them done. Excuse me. <clears throat> but it is, it's definitely a teamwork proposition all the way. That's that's interesting you brought up preferences because that's a huge part of proofreading is to proofread yes. to their preference. And when I, like I have one court reporter that I, I still proofread that I proof for, and I can always tell when she scoped it or when somebody else scoped it because I know her <laughs> preferences so well. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that scope is, did not follow her preference here. And I'm like, that was not this <laughs> this court. So it's very interesting. You can you kind of develop your own writing style, but you still want to like a good scopist that you've trained is going to follow the court reporters as closely as possible. So the proofer, I mean, could have a hard time telling who's who. And that's the way you want it to be. Absolutely. Don't have to wear a mask to pretend to be the court reporter. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So how long, you know, you have to learn Steno and then you've also mentioned the software. So do you train because the software, you know, I've, as proofreaders, some proofreaders proof in software, some use um, PDF. Um, yeah. I specialize in teaching PDF proofreading, but I do know how to proofread in software. PDF proofreading is very um, easy to learn. It's very very low tech, like you don't need a lot of tech skills. The software is a beast. I mean, it can do, it's, it's amazing everything it can do. And it also means it's a little bit of a learning curve. So do you teach how to use the software as well? I do because learning to run the software efficiently mm-hmm. can mean a $5 difference in your hourly rate mm-hmm. as to how many pages you can get through in an hour. If I'm looking for a command and I don't know how to do it or I'm typing everything in when there's quicker, easier ways of doing things, I'm going to be a lot slower. So I do, I have them go through the video training that is put out by Stenograph Corporation, who mm-hmm. makes the Catalyst software. Mm-hmm. So I have them go through that first. Then I start at the beginning. I show them how to set up a user, mm-hmm. how to create um, 
a dictionary, how to do globaling, how to do replacing, um, how to copy, how to break a file and put it back together in a different order. I mean, I try and teach them everything I can think of as far as running their software. Um, and there are a lot of shortcuts. There are hot keys. Yes. You can hit that will take, uh, say, a colloquy and turn it into a question. Mm hmm vice versa, um, to insert like a parenthetical, uh, a discussion was had off the record. Mm -hmm. There are shortcuts to doing all those things where you're not typing them in. So learning to run that software well is a huge thing. Mm. And as as I said, then you can help the reporters as well, which makes you more valuable. Yes. The more skills you have, the more money you can make. (laughs) That's exactly right. I love that you give them like the basic training that's, you know, the the stenograph, the one that makes the software case cat. I love that you give them that, but then you don't just be like, okay, go read the literally 2000 page manual and figure the rest (laughs) out for yourself. It's you tell them what you know so that they don't have to figure it out on their own. Ah, that's so good, Linda. Oh, thank you. I'm glad I thought of it. (laughs) <laughs> that that's so if tell me then if some you know so a lot of people one thing I hear about proofreading is this do I have to learn a lot of software do I have to be very tech savvy so um and with pdf proofreading no you don't which is awesome uh-huh. how do you balance out how do you address like if okay maybe tech is a little harder for somebody what would you encourage them or how I mean obviously you spend a lot of time training how would you address that Well, I always tell everybody they need to know how to run a computer. Mm. I don't teach Windows. I don't teach any of the other computer programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Word, for example, can be pretty persnickety to run at times. Mm -hmm. Um, Those kinds of things I don't teach. You do need to know how to get around on your computer, how to find things, how to get online, those things. If you don't know those, then you need to take a basic computer class first. Mm -hmm. Then once they come to me, you know, generally they can do those kinds of things. Then I teach them, oh, in addition to the software, how to send and receive files. Yeah. There are several, several different ways of doing that. Different reporters prefer different ones. Mm-hmm. They're generally pretty straightforward to use, but it's something a Scopus has to know. Yes. Um, you have to know how to do invoicing. Anymore, you probably want to know how to set up a payment so that it will go directly into your bank. Yes. Those days of having to trot down to the bank with your little paycheck in hand are over. Thank Almost- goodness. <laughs> no, isn't that great? Yes. Um, you get paid, you bill online, you get paid online, the money just shows up in your account, and whoop-de-doo, you can go shopping. It feels so good when you get that invoice <laughs> paid. So oh, good. it does. It does. And once you get them coming in pretty regularly, I mean, it isn't like having a nine-to-five job where you get a set paycheck every two weeks or every month or whatever. It does vary, mm-hmm. but... Um, I've always told everybody, too, that there are sometimes some slowdowns in work. 
every single time I decided I was going to clean out my closet, bang, I'd get a file. That closet never got cleaned for many years because that was that was my secret. All right, y'all, you have got the, I mean, Linda just dropped the marketing tip of the decade right there. Yep. When you get some time off unexpectedly, go do something fun. Or tackle cleaning your windows or something you've been meaning to do and don't sweat it. Because nine times out of 10, when things bust loose, you're going to be drowning in pages again and trying to figure out how to do them. So once you kind of learn to give up that angst about the regular paycheck Mm -hmm. and maybe on the months where you make more, even set a little bit aside so Mm. that when you have a slow month, you've got a little bit to fall back on. Whatever it does to make you not worry about that, because worrying about income is almost as bad as worrying about taxes. Yes. The difference is most of your creditors won't come and, you know, pirate you away in the middle of the night and hide you where no one will ever see you again like the IRS can do. Yes. Yeah. Trying to learn to, to go with the flow is really important. I love you said that getting over the angst of not getting a normal nine to five paycheck. Because that is hard. It is. It's uh, especially if that's been your and a lot of people who come into like proofreading or scoping come in from nine to five jobs where they're regularly getting paycheck. It is a very and it can be a little I still remember when I first started proofreading and, you know, I'd be super busy one week and the next week I'm like, uh, what happened? (laughs) But then, you know, give me a few months and I'm like, oh, this is normal. And you know, the weeks that I'm busy make up for those downtimes that I have. And it's great because I'm giving myself vacations like, you know, every other week or whatever. It's not that often, but you know, it's right. The flexibility is just so good. Yeah. And it's a trade-off. It's a big adjustment at first. Mm -hmm. And I know what I used to do when things would get slow as I think, Oh no, did I screw up a job? Are they not going to send me work anymore? And you kind of beat yourself up. And then all of a sudden here come the pages again. And after a while you figure out it just, it's an ebb and flow thing. And most businesses are that way. Yes. And you just have to learn to count, maybe count to 10 or take deep breaths or do whatever. Go run around your house two or three times. (laughs) Calm yourself down. And realize that that's just part of it. That And, you know, when you have a great education and experience, because by the time they graduate with you, Linda, they have not only an education, but they have experience. Um, right. They can they know that they're they're good at what they do and they know how to run their business. And it's a matter of just not just, but it's a matter of adjusting to the difference of freelance life versus a nine to five life. Right. That's, I'm glad you mentioned that. Oh, this was good. And then um, I know I've been keeping you longer than I planned, but you have so much good stuff to say, Linda. What would you say are your favorite parts of, I feel like we've touched on this, sprinkled it a little bit throughout, but I'd love to hear like, if you could summarize your top favorite parts of being a scopist, what would you say? Oh gosh, working from home is way up there on that list Mm. Um, especially living here in Montana in the winter time we can get some really bad weather where the roads are so slick and Mm. really unsafe 
mm-hmm. while other people are crawling along trying to get into Missoula to go to work at 25 miles an hour. I'm throwing <laughs> a log on the fire and I'm cuddling up with my dogs with a big grin on my face and thinking, ha, I got it way better than you do. I love working from home. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I love owning my own business, especially mm. if you have ever worked for somebody who was kind of hard to work for. Yes. My boss is great. She really, she really understands me because it's me. You like, yes. <laughs> yes. So I like that part of it. Um, I liked being able to kind of make my own schedule mm. and also kind of determine how much work I wanted to do. Some people can't sleep at night. Um, you can get up in the middle of the night and work on a transcript if you want yes. to. Yes. Um, I love being able to work from different locations because as long as you can get an internet signal, which is almost everywhere anymore, mm-hmm. I think in the jungles of Africa, you can probably get an internet signal. Mm-hmm. One time when my kids were little, I took a couple of lawn chairs and uh, set up my laptop and worked while they were taking swimming lessons. I was sitting in the park. Oh, um, yes. I worked from a camper beside a lake. Mm. While my husband was out fishing and dumped our canoe over. <laughs> or our rowboat, I should say. Thank goodness but you were I not sat- in that. <laughs> no, I was so glad, especially not with my computer. Yes. But I was sitting in my camper getting a little workout, and then I was able to go out and join him. Oh. Um, I even have done work and uploaded, downloaded while he's driving down the highway when we're on our way to somewhere. Then when we get there, I've got my work done. Mm. And I'm still making money instead of having to give a job away because I can do it on the road. So yes. those those are my favorite parts. But working at home definitely takes the cake. Well, your description of putting a log on a fire and cuddling up with your dogs while everybody's <laughs> out trying to not die on the ice was I that was perfect, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> Oh, well, y'all, if you're thinking about scoping, which clearly Linda has, uh, you can just hear the joy and the energy that she has. And she brings that to her course, which kind of, I mean, I've already answered my question. Linda, if somebody is interested in scoping, you know, a lot of actually transcript proofreaders add, learn, go on to learn to be a scopist um, and they do both. So like if they, you know, they scope a job and then maybe their court reporter is busy taking another job. So then they'll go proofread for another court reporter. I mean, mix it up because, I mean, who has time to be sure. bored, right? So right. if someone is considering either starting from scratch or, you know, they've been a transcript proofreader and they want to add uh, some variety into their life, um, how, what is the best way to learn to be a scopist? Well, the name of my course is Internet Scoping School. Mm-hmm. And the web address is www.scopeschool.com. The way I set up my course is there is an introductory section called Scoping Fundamentals, Mm -hmm. which has some samples of some lessons. It talks about the progress of a transcript from beginning to end, where the scopus fits in. And then there are uh, quite a few lessons on word usage Mm. because it's so easy to mix things up or to get into a bad habit of the way that you use words that's incorrect. Yes. Well, if someone likes that uh, unit and then wants to continue, 
they can sign up for the rest of the course. And that is nine very intensive units that cover everything from punctuation, medical legal terminology, how to put a transcript together, how to expertly run the software and more. Mm. And by the time you're done, you have a very well-rounded, very comprehensive education. I mean, nine units is no joke, y'all. I have seen the inside of Linda's course. It is not a joke. (laughs) You are busy and working hard. (laughs) And that's right. It's not something that you're going to learn to do in two weeks and get out there and make $50,000. If that's your idea, nope, not this job. If you're willing to put in the work and the time and the effort, it is a good career. It's a solid career. It's one, obviously, I've enjoyed pretty much my whole adult life. Um, and now I'm really enjoying teaching it. How fun. I, and my group, oh, my gosh, they're so smart mm. and very nice people um, in our little private section. People ask each other questions. They answer each other. They give each other advice. Mm. Um they will bend over backwards to help another person. And it has been an absolute pleasure for me to work with this group. Uh, Well, they sound, I mean, getting to hang out with people who are all working on the same thing and who are nice and then getting to be trained by you. I mean, (laughs) can you ask for anything better? (laughs) Oh yeah. There's lots of things I'd ask for. (laughs) Still, it's pretty good altogether. (laughs) So how long, Linda, so you mentioned, you know, this isn't something you get in in two weeks, you're out. How long, and I know it varies per person. Your course is self-paced, correct? Right. People can go through um, at their own pace. They can do it. uh, I think probably the best way to get through it is to set yourself so many hours a day if you can. Mm. Like, say, four hours of studying Monday through Friday, six hours on the weekends. Um, whatever you want to set up. But I also have had students who have had uh, parents get ill and they've had to go care for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Some have been homeschooling their kids. Some have had special needs children. You know, there are other things. Life just interferes sometimes. Yeah. Well, in this case, it doesn't matter. I've had people that have graduated. I think the fastest one back when I didn't have quite as much material was three months. And I've had people that took two years or more Mm -hmm. just because maybe they took time off in the summer. Um, They had other issues come up. Maybe they got sick or had to have surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no pressure. You get through it at your own time. Um, If you have questions, I'm online uh, five days a week, minimum, usually seven. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to be very prompt and responsive to questions. Mm-hmm. As I said, our other our group of students is awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's a really, you know, if you can get out of going to college and incurring thousands and thousands of dollars of student debt, learn something in a few months for a small fraction of the cost that will pay you a pretty decent wage, scoping is a great way to go. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> So true. I yes. I mean, if you're, I've talked to people who are, you know, in college, don't know what they want to do, but they're in college. But at the same time, they're accruing debt, and it's like, even if 
you know, scoping, you could have like you, you scope for over 42 years. This can be your career or it can be something that you do for a few years and then you add something else on or you move on. It's so flexible, but you can do it without all the pressure of, I just spent four years and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on a college education. Um, and you can do something that's just as rewarding and the skills you learn are, I mean, you set yourself up for success in life by learning how to run your own business and having scoping skills. Yes. And that brings up a, an interesting thing. We just added a new unit on running a self-employed business. Ooh. So after you graduate, you know, people sometimes felt like, what do I do now? I have all this knowledge and I have these skills, but they weren't quite sure how to start. Mm -hmm. And so that unit will be covering book the bookkeeping you need to do, how to get set up with clients, how to keep clients. Oh, that's huge. How to communicate professionally. Um, just a myriad of things you need to know to run your own business. Oh, y'all. So if you get in now, you're going to get that coming up because <laughs> that is and on, that's my favorite part. Like when I teach proofreading, um, the first two phases are on all the skills you need to know, like the background you need to know, the practice, getting the experience, the grammar, all that good stuff. And then phase three, which is the grad section, is how to manage your business. And that is, I love teaching that part because then you get, yes. that's how you're making money. And uh, you feel your all your hard work uh, comes to fruition. And so, oh, y'all... Yes. Y'all are going to love that section of Linda's course. That's going to be, I'm glad you're adding that. That's going to be so good. So good. I think so too. Excellent. Well, Linda, is there anything else? We've covered a lot today. Is there anything else that you would want to add? Um, anything that clarify anything at all that you want to say to anybody thinking about scoping before we sign off? Um, I do have a link on my website that tells you how about how much money it will take for you to set yourself up to do scoping. Okay, good. Um, which includes a computer, obviously the training. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of reference books, um, which I should go back, circle back to computers. It used to be that you had to pay two or $3,000 to get a decent computer mm -hmm. that has come down so much now you can get a pretty serviceable machine for 500 bucks yes which is so you know, nice that, so your your outlay up front really isn't that bad mm -hmm. then you, of course you need to have a decent internet connection high speed is preferable and and of course uh, dependable is also mm -hmm. very important yes. and then you do have to buy the court reporting software that allows you to work on the files but all together you can set up your business for maybe just a little bit more than five thousand dollars and that's everything you think if you were to start a retail store uh, yeah and had to buy all that inventory how much money you'd be in for maybe around five thousand dollars you can have a brand new career you're your own boss you own your own business and I just don't think it gets a lot better than that. Mm. That it, you know, it it can seem like if you just focus on the initial cost of what you have to do to invest or the cost of the training, it can be like, okay, well, I now have to think about that. But when you think about how much money you'll be making and how quickly you'll make that back and how in demand scope is star, it's it's a no brainer. Uh, 
It is. Take it. We also have payment plans. So Hmm. if someone can afford the whole outlay at once, which is many people, Mm -hmm. they can make uh, pretty reasonable payment plans. And what was the other thing I was going to say? You know, I haven't had that happen to me this whole time. So (laughs) I've done really well for being old and brain dead. (laughs) I mean, I think you you are doing awesome, Linda. (laughs) Well, whatever it was. I'll tell you next time. (laughs) Well, you do have on your, and y'all, I will link to this inside the show notes. So you can just click on it and go there. I'll link to Linda's um, website. You do have a, uh, you have your scoping fundamentals, which is a foundation, which you do not have to purchase uh, the court report, the software that you'd have to use up front, which is uh, to take scoping fundamentals. Is that correct? To see if you'd like scoping. Right. And it's also very inexpensive. It's only $197. Perfect. And it'll give you a good feel for whether this is something that you feel like you might be good at or that you even want to do. So right, yeah, that's a good place to start. Doesn't cost you much to stick your toe in the water and see if you want to jump in. And it's so worth doing that instead of having in the back of your mind nagging you like, well, I wonder if scoping is the right thing for me. Well, you can give it a shot without, you know, all any upfront a whole lot of upfront costs, like having to get the software or learn the software and then decide you don't like it kind of thing. You can get your feet wet and see what it's like. That's right. Very good. Well, Linda, this has been so much fun. So I mean, (laughs) this was so good. Y'all, I will put the links in the show notes so that you can just click on them, head over. Um, And Linda and you know, I've known Linda for years. She is so responsive to her emails and she's personally responding to her emails. So if you have questions about it, as you know, if she has lots of information on her website, you have this podcast, you can always reach out to her. And she's, as you can tell, she loves what she does and she is always happy to help people. And she'll be honest with you. If she thinks you're a good fit, she'll tell you. And if she doesn't think you're a good fit, she'll tell you too. So, um, you have a Nicely. great resource. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I try to be polite, but I have had to tell people, I don't think you're cut out for this. But, you know, there's lots of other home-based businesses out there. You do need to have good word skills or aptitude anyway. Yes. And you take, I mean, if you bring the willingness and the desire, then Linda will meet you and help you with the rest. So what more could you ask for? <laughs> well, I do give it my best shot. Well, Linda, thank you so, so much. You've been wonderful. Thank and you. I, this has been lots of fun. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me today. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you get the next episode that comes out. And if you know somebody who is interested in proofreading or starting their own side hustle, make sure to share this podcast with them. And I will see you next time here on the Proofreading Business Podcast.